Welcome listeners to a new episode of Criminal Mind, a brand new true crime podcast that delves into shocking cases that all tie into mental health. I'm Raviv, and today's episode is about Brandon Swanson. As always, this episode will contain graphic material that may be triggering, and I urge all of my listeners to listen ahead with caution. I'm pretty sure that I discovered this case via a Reddit thread. I always find so many cases on Reddit that I've never heard of before, and this case was so intriguing, I had to delve into it for a Criminal Mind episode. This case is so incredibly curious, and I think you're really going to be shocked with these details, or lack thereof. So with that, we're going to strap in and walk through the story of Brandon Swanson together. Welcome to Criminal Mind. May 14th, 2008. College freshman Brandon Swanson had just finished up his freshman year at Minnesota West Community and Technical College, studying wind energy technology. He was attending a party nearby, in a town called Lind, and then shifted to another party in a nearby town, called Canby. There was alcohol present, but he had only consumed one shot of whiskey and decided to drive home a bit after midnight to his parents, about half an hour away in a town called Marshall. According to Medium, Brandon was quite familiar with this drive because the campus was also located in Canby. At 1.54 a.m., he made a phone call to his parents, telling them that his car was stuck in a ditch. Before calling his parents, he attempted to call his friends a bit earlier, none of whom answered his calls. Annette and Brian Swanson left their home to go pick up their son, who was now about 10 minutes from them. He drove a green Chevy Lumina. Brandon told them that he was fine. He wasn't hurt and he gave them his approximate location. However, when his parents arrived at the specified location, there was no sight of Brandon or his vehicle. What? Did his car maybe get towed? How could it just disappear in the dead of night with absolutely no sign of their son? Was this a drunken prank? My first thought was that maybe he actually drank more than what was reported, and he had driven drunk. According to Grunge, they had both agreed to flash their car headlights at each other when Annette and Brian were at the location, so they could easily locate each other. So they started to flash their truck headlights, hoping that maybe they just couldn't see Brandon right away because it was dark. Brandon was sure that he had given them the correct location. And the real kicker is, they were on the phone together amidst all of this. His parents were flashing their lights, and Brandon said that he could see a light ahead. Quote, we were saying, we're flashing our lights, end quote, Annette told CNN. This is what she shouted to Brandon through the phone. They were desperately trying to reach him, to no avail. They were surrounded by fields, so I'm assuming this was a wide open location he was in. It couldn't have been too difficult to spot Brandon and his car in a ditch. Brandon began to grow frustrated as his parents continued to search for him and the vehicle. They remained on the phone with him throughout their struggle, and I think what's most shocking to me is that if they were that close by, how could Brandon just not hear his parents? If he had given them the correct location, wouldn't he have just been able to hear his parents' voice in the flesh? So maybe he didn't give them the right location. Maybe he had been off. Brandon's annoyance grew, and at one point, he hung up the phone in frustration. They linked back up right away, but Brandon decided that it was no longer best for him to wait with his car. He opted to walk to Lind, and he could see lights coming from the town's direction. Although met with initial pushback, his parents finally agreed to meet him in a parking lot in Lind. They stayed on the phone as Brandon walked for about 45 minutes, but at the 47 minute call mark, the call ended. Brandon yelled, oh shit, 
the call disconnected, and that was the last anyone ever heard from Brandon Swanson. His parents frantically tried to call him again, but they got no response. Five or six immediate calls back to back, but nothing. There was no answer. Brian decided to continuously drive up and down the road, just hoping to catch his son walking down it, but he found nothing and continued to search through the night. There was absolutely no sign of Brandon's green Chevy Lumina. If he actually got into this minor accident and drove his car into a ditch, how could it be gone? How could there be absolutely no sign of it? Morning rolled around, and at 6.30 a.m., Annette phoned the Lind Police Department to file a missing persons report. As nearly always, they said it was too soon to file a report, which is always just bullshit. You hear about this so much, and the initial hours after a person goes missing always seem to be the most crucial in finding them. They weren't concerned, but if I were them, I would have been more than concerned after listening to the details of his disappearance. His parents had been on the phone with him when something obviously happened. He wouldn't have yelled, oh shit, for nothing. The police thought this situation wasn't unusual. He was a college kid who had been partying, and they automatically suspected that this was related to that. But hours after Annette went to the police, they changed their minds and ultimately opened up a missing persons case for Brandon. They searched around the local area, around Lind, but they came to find that he had been nowhere close to Lind. They were able to track his phone after tracing his calls, and he had actually been 20 miles away. So that explains why his parents were unable to find him when they arrived at the meetup point. Brandon had been in the town of Canby earlier, again where his campus was located, and headed towards Lind. But the calls he had made were traced to Taunton, which is a town located along State Highway 68, according to Medium. The search was shifted to this area instead, and police found his Chevy Lumina rather quickly after this adjustment, at 12.30 p.m. His car was in a ditch and had been abandoned there. Lincoln County Sheriff Jack Vizecki stated, quote, It was off the side of a field approach, and the vehicle was hung up. It's sort of a sharp incline, nothing major, but enough that the car would get hung up so the wheels are too high off the ground to get any traction, end quote, as quoted to Medium. The inside of Brandon's car was heavily and thoroughly searched, as investigators looked for any kind of clue that could help them determine what happened to him the night before. There was both grass and gravel in the ditch, so there were no tracks left. This made it impossible for police to figure out which direction he was driving in. Despite the location being incorrect, Brandon had accurately told his parents what happened to his vehicle, so it was quite strange that his location was so far off. Was it too dark for him to see any street signs or indicators of where he was? Did he maybe just guess or thought he was giving the right information based on what he could see? There are lots of questions swirling around in my head in regards to why he gave a location so far off. I don't think that it was purposeful. I think that maybe he just made a wrong guess based on the direction he was driving in. A widespread ground search began and the search area was determined based on where his cell phone calls were traced to. Search dogs were brought in, in hopes that they would pick up a trace of Brandon's scent. According to CNN, they led investigators to the Yellow Medicine River nearby. The river's depth could reach up to 15 feet. The dogs indicated that Brandon fell into this river and that would have led him to being taken downstream. But the kicker is, the river is only two miles long, and it was searched through by Sheriff Vizecki every day for a month straight. If he had fallen, his body would have been found, 
It was also possible that, if he fell in, he could have gotten out. It wasn't 15 feet deep throughout the entire course of the river. Based on this information, investigators didn't think that Brandon fell into the river, and Annette didn't think so either. She told CNN, quote, There really is nothing to indicate that he's in the river. The dog actually jumped in the river, jumped back out, worked the trail up to another gravel road, and then lost the scent. After ruling out the river theory, Vizeki claimed that he thought foul play may be involved. The idea makes sense because why else would no personal items had been found by that point in the investigation? The search has been extensive so far, and nothing has surfaced. Not a piece of clothing, not a body, not a trace. Dirt and gravel have been looked through. The Yellow Medicine River has continued to be a search source over the years. A tip line brought in 90 tips, but still nothing. Emergency support services took over the case in 2008, and there were immediately new issues at hand. They were having trouble getting permission from farmers to search their ground. Because there were cows present on their farmland, they didn't want search dogs looking around. This puts new holes in this case, and to be totally honest, I feel that it's just kind of ridiculous. There is a young man, who now would be an adult, that has been missing for years, and you don't want search dogs on your land to look for him? Seems kind of suspicious to me, although I don't believe that any of these farmers likely had anything to do with his disappearance. I'm sure they're more so concerned with the dogs disturbing their livestock or damaging their land or crops. But come on, in the case of a missing person, you can't put that aside for a few hours so the dogs can do their work and hopefully bring Brandon home. The worst part is that as time passes, without their permission, it becomes more and more difficult to search those areas. Obviously, because no evidence has been found, there are a ton of theories about what happened to Brandon. Some think his disappearance was orchestrated, which, to be honest, I don't believe even in the slightest. Why would he have gone through all of this trouble, especially staying on the phone with his parents for 47 minutes just to put them through hell? He was trying to find them the night he disappeared, not torture them. Just from what I've gathered about Brandon, I don't think that's something he would have put together on purpose. He was a good student, with no known issues at home, and he hadn't ever had any legal issues. There is no known reason why he would want to disappear, so I immediately found that theory to be nonsense. Another piece to that puzzle is that he potentially had a mental breakdown of some kind, but again, it would have been out of nowhere. To even suggest that he was mentally ill without any kind of backing is messed up in its own right. So you're probably wondering, why is this case being featured on a show like Criminal Mind, which is so focused on cases about mental illness? Well, that's easy, because it's been thrust into this case as a theory. A man vanishes in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the night. Of course, somebody is going to throw having a mental breakdown into the hat, but again, based on what I read about this case, I don't think that's what happened either. Was he possibly hit by a car? Maybe, but again, not likely. Not a single trace of Brandon has ever been found. If he had been hit by a car, wouldn't some type of evidence be found in the area? Traces of blood or tire marks. When you get into an accident, there's usually some kind of evidence that there was an accident. Shattered pieces in the road, something. There was absolutely nothing. And again, this was a widespread search. The only theory that I really think holds ground is that he fell into the river and drowned. Why they haven't found a body or any evidence, I don't know, but the search dogs led them right to the river. It's the only theory that could make sense given the circumstances. 
It's a very odd case with no evidence, so the only thing that investigators have is a list of theories. And the search for Brandon has continued over the years, so I'm sure that they're still running through theories at this point. According to Grunge, Brian and Annette Swanson both believe that they would have had more answers if the police hadn't waited to file a missing persons report. Like I said earlier, the first few hours in a case are crucial, and I don't know why waiting 24 hours to file a report is always the response police give. Based on their experience with this, the Swansons proposed a law, Brandon's Law, which would, quote, require law enforcement to take a missing persons report without delay after notification of someone missing under dangerous circumstances, no matter the missing person's age. Immediately conduct a preliminary investigation to determine if the person is missing and whether the person is endangered, and promptly notify all other law enforcement agencies of the situation, end quote, as quoted by Grunge. Brandon's law went into effect on July 1st, 2009, a small win for the Swansons. But nothing will ever count as a true win until they have answers as to what happened to their son Brandon. I cannot even begin to guess how much agony they've been in for the last 13 years, wondering what could have happened. There are no answers, only guesses. They've had nothing to work off of, no evidence at all, and no trace. This poor family has been left to live in fear, a constant guessing game. His disappearance is a horrible tragedy, and I hope more than anything that for their sake and the safety of Brandon, they are able to find answers. If you have any information about the disappearance of Brandon Swanson, please call the Lincoln County Sheriff at 507-694-1664. Thank you again so much for checking out this episode of Criminal Mind. If this is the first episode you've listened to, there are a handful of other episodes you can listen to that we've released so far on our show page. As always, you can reach out to me on socials at IamRaviv across the board if you want to give me any feedback, which is always appreciated, or just chat about one of these cases. While I've already written all the scripts for this season, I am currently looking for new cases to cover for seasons three and four, so if you have any suggestions that fit within the realm of Criminal Mind, please let me know on socials. Again, I'm at I am Revive on all socials. I'm specifically looking for cases that revolve around mental health in some aspect. So if you have any ideas, please let me know. I typically scrounge around on Reddit looking for cases that haven't gotten much attention. I anticipate writing the scripts for season three this summer and releasing in the fall, so I want to get my cases locked in relatively soon. Again, if you like what you're hearing so far on Criminal Mind, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, rate us five stars, and share with all your true crime-addicted friends. See you next time. Love, Revive.